Father God, as we've been reading of all that we have in Christ as we have been going through Ephesians, uh, we thank you that you are both our Savior and our Lord. And we thank you that we as a church uh, around the world with our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, are here to be ambassadors of you. Uh, we thank you that our citizenship is in heaven, uh, not on earth. And we thank you that we build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And we pray for those within our society around us who are in fear at this time, uh, for those whose lives are not built on that firm foundation. Uh, and when that fear of their own mortality begins to hit them, uh, that there is panic and fear in our society. And we thank you that times like this provide the church with this great gospel opportunity uh, to be a witness of Jesus Christ, to be a witness of the gospel message that we have received, uh, a message that not only impacts our eternal destiny, uh, but also impacts our lives uh, here and now. And we just pray over one another this morning. Uh, we thank you for those conversations that will be happening uh, in our places of work, with our neighbors, uh, with uh, our friends on campus. And we thank you that as Christians, we have uh, a story to tell, a message of hope uh, to bring into that climate of fear. And we pray that during this difficult time, uh, that something of the hope of Jesus might be able to be communicated uh, with others. Lord, you call us to pray for our leaders and those in authority. That's a biblical commandment, and we want to do that uh, today, not just for our own government, but for world leaders as they seek to respond uh, to this threat of the coronavirus. Lord, we pray that you would help them to have wise uh, and measured uh, responses to what is happening. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them uh, and guide them and lead them. We thank you for all within our church uh, and within society who work uh, within the health service, uh, for whom the opportunity to self-isolate is probably not there, that they go out of their way uh, to show compassion and to care for others in need. Uh, and we pray a blessing uh, and a protection upon them. And for those who in this week have caught the illness or have been bereaved, Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you are the great physician, uh, and we do pray uh, for your healing. We pray that the spread of this virus would be slowed. And for those who do lose loved ones, we thank you that you are the great God of comfort, and we pray at a time of loss uh, that they might come into contact with you and that you might just minister to them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have this Sunday uh, to gather together, uh, mindful that there are many churches around the world who are not able to meet at this time. Uh, we pray that as we are in your presence, that we might glorify and honor you, that we might delight in worshiping you, and that as we spend some time in your word this morning, that you would be gracious enough to come and to speak to us by your Holy Spirit. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're working our way uh, through this tremendous uh, epistle uh, to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches uh, in Asia Minor. And the focus of it is all about what God has done for us. And so far in chapter 1, uh, we've seen this first section from verse 1 through to 14, and it's just Paul pouring out his heart, uh, praising God, telling us of all that we have received in Christ. And we noted that this first 14 verses is just one verse in Greek. It's almost as if we can't quieten Paul. His heart just wants to tell us about all the spiritual blessings that we have received from God in Christ. And then last week, uh, we looked at that section from verse 15 through to verse 23. And after Paul has told us everything that we have received in Christ, he then goes on to pray for the church. And his prayer is this, that what we have received in Jesus might become a living reality for us. That we would experience something of the reality and something of the power of what we have in Christ. And we were reminded uh, towards the end of last week of this tremendous truth that as we are to live for Christ day by day, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to I. And that we're not to live the Christian life in our own strength, but as we're united with Christ, so that power is available for us and that tremendous encouragement. Well, as we step into chapter two, that idea of power uh, continues. And we are here this morning to see that contrast between the power of God and the powerlessness of our own situations. And we think about those verses, if you have your Bible uh, before you, in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And perhaps we pick up at verse 5, and it says this, hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Tremendous truth here of salvation, of our powerlessness, of the hold that sin had over our lives, and yet the great power of God who comes and steps in in order to redeem and to save us. And so this morning we want to think of the way that we were powerless to sin. And we also want to think this morning uh, about that struggle that is happening 
that we can identify with in our own lives, that spiritual battle that is going on uh, between the power of God and the power of Satan and how we are contending for one another and contending for those that we love, that they might come to know the salvation that is available in Jesus Christ. And so, we looked at Ephesians, and we read these words, this description of the lives of people uh, before they met Jesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Before we go on to unpack this verse, uh, let's just hear these words which we read from Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son. And it says this, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So, he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him everything. As I was looking at these verses in Ephesians uh, during the week, it just struck me that this story of, of the prodigal son kind of brings what Paul is talking about here to life. You see, here in these verses and here in this story of the prodigal son, we have a son that is loved by his Father. And we've been looking through Ephesians, and we've been seeing the great love that God has for each one of us, for the way that He wants to bless us in our lives, for the way that we have been created for the glory of God. And yet, here is this son in this story, and he feels that that relationship with his father is somehow holding him back. And he looks around at his friends in the world, and he sees them pursuing the pleasures of the world, and somehow he thinks that they have something more. It's almost as if the grass was greener on the other side, and he felt that he was missing out on this pleasure. And so, he goes to the father, and he asks the father for a share of his inheritance. In order that that link between his father and himself is broken, he will become self-sufficient. And he heads off to the city, not looking back. And there was pleasure involved. He threw his everything into living in the city. He pursued every pleasure that was there. And perhaps for a time, he felt somewhat fulfilled. But I wonder how the father felt 
I wonder how the father felt. You know when you have people over to the house and maybe your family members, it's natural to ask about them, ask how they're getting on. How must that father have felt when he met up with friends? And the friends turned and said to him, how's that young lad of yours getting on? I haven't seen him around for a while. What's happening with him? I imagine that must have been a painful conversation for the father. Later on in the story, as the father reflects on this period of time and his own relationship with his son, he declares this, that this son of mine was dead. This son of mine was dead. That relationship between father and son was broken. It was dead. How painful that must have been for the father. Some of us can relate to that from our own family situations, broken relationships and the pain of that. And it's the same with God and ourselves. And so, this story is a powerful picture of what we're looking at here in Ephesians. Here is this father who longs to bless his son, to pour good things into the life of his son, who desires this relationship with his son, who has this great inheritance in store for his son to be enjoyed in relationship with the father. Father gives his all for his son. God desires to bless us. We are created for his glory. God has poured every good thing into our lives. And yet we turn our backs on him and we walk away. And we're reminded of these words in Romans that say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is sin? What is sin? Well, ultimately, it is not living for the glory of God. You were created for the glory of God. Your life was created to glorify God. He blessed you with all good things. He desired that you would enjoy a relationship with Him forever. And he has so much potential that is wrapped up in your life of how he wants you to live in order to bring glory and honor to him. And yet we walk away from God and we break that relationship. And in those verses in Ephesians, it talks about these two words, trespasses and sins. Two words that explain how we have wandered from God. And the first word, paraptoma, it means to trespass, to leave the right path, to cross a boundary. And the idea is here is God and He places us on the right path. And He says, this is the way, walk in it. And we begin walking up that right path. 
And then we cross the boundary. We trespass. We go somewhere that he never intended for our lives. And we start wandering off this way instead. Back this way. And the other word, hamartia, it means to miss the mark. This is the idea that we have been created for the glory of God. And yet as we sin, we fail to bring glory to Him. And there is another influence on our lives. There's something else that makes the spiritual battle difficult. Paul, describing the way that the Ephesians used to walk before they came to Christ, said this, you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That phrase, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? We've heard that phrase before, haven't we? There's something in the air tonight. Have you heard that phrase before? There's something in the air tonight. And it talks about this idea of ideas and attitudes and influences that shape our thinking and shape our lives. And that's what Satan does. That's what Satan does. He comes and he seeks to influence us. He comes and seeks to plant wrong thoughts in our minds to influence our thinking. We think back to that story in Genesis. God creates man and woman. He sets them in the garden. He gives them every good thing. And he tells them the path that they are to walk. And then Satan comes along, and what does he do? He begins to poison their thinking. Did God really say that you weren't to do that? Does God really want the best for your life? And those doubts begin to take hold, and suddenly they wander away from God. And we know that from our own lives, don't we? We know what God desires of us. And yet sometimes that voice comes, did God really say that you weren't to do that? Sometimes we doubt, does God really want the best for my life? And these thoughts and these ideas take us down a certain path. Ephesians says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And we're reminded of those words in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life to the full. That's what we're talking about here. Two roads that we can walk down in life. God wants the best for us. He wants the best for you. 
He has created you for his glory. There is so much potential wrapped up in you. He desires that you might live for him, that you might honor him. And yet Satan comes along, the one who originally rebelled against God, and he tries to entice us to rebel against him also, to walk away from him. And those paths lead to different places. One leads to destruction. One robs us of all that is good in life. But the other, the other gives us life and life to the full, not just now, but also in eternity. Well, that's the bad news, okay? That's what's been going on. But as a church, we're all about good news. That's the hope. We're all about the gospel message. We're all about what God has done for us. We're all about hope and rejoicing. And so that was where we were, or where we might still be this morning if we do not know Jesus yet. Then we read these incredible words. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace that you have been saved. Here's a contrast of where we were. And then Paul comes along and he says these powerful words, but, but, but what? But because of his great love for us, God. God came along out of love and he intervened in our lives. Salvation begins with God. Salvation begins with God. It is a work of God. He is rich in love. He is rich in mercy. And he comes along and he looks at your life and mine, and at some point he saw us and we were dead. Now, there's something about being dead, and that is that you can't help yourself you can't administer CPR on yourself. You can't do anything to help yourself. You are powerless. That is what the Scriptures are talking about. We live in a society of self-help books, of self-sufficiency. This idea that somehow we can help ourselves, and lots of religions are based on that. But if you're dead, there's nothing you can do, okay? What you need is someone to come along and to intervene and give you that spiritual CPR in order to bring you back to life. And that is what God does for us. He intervenes with His resurrection power, and He raises us back to life. Note again what it says in that story we were reading in Luke 15. It says this, when the young man came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, 
and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what God delights to do for us. The son realizes all that he had in the father and how he had squandered it. And note the words in this text of remorse that he speaks. He says this, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Interesting words. And the point is this, that sin always has consequences. And yes, at a human level, often it breaks relationships. And we know that from our own lives. We know the pain and the hurt that it's caused to us and that we have caused others. But ultimately, sin is against God. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And that includes your family. And that includes your friends. God has blessed us in abundance with every good and perfect gift. The whole of life is meant to be a blessing for us from God. And yet we squander it all and we throw it all away. But it can be rediscovered. And it's rediscovered by coming back into relationship with the Father. And what is it that the Father declares? He says, the son of mine was dead, but now is alive. He was lost and he is found. What a moment of emotion that must have been. What a moment of emotion that must have been. Imagine you're the father and that relationship with your son has been dead. You haven't seen him for years. You've been estranged from him. then suddenly one day he returns. And the joy of welcoming your son back. And note here is the son and he's like, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to 
try and be a hired hand on my father's farm. I'm going to help him out on the estate that way. He recognizes that there's something out of relationship with his father. And yet, as he comes back, the father spots him and runs to him and embraces him. And then all those folks that he's been having this painful conversation with year after year who've been asking how his son has been doing, suddenly he says, let's call the whole neighborhood together. Bring them. I want them to meet my son again. I want us to celebrate together. Here is my son that I thought was dead, but he's alive. I thought I had lost him, but now he is found. This is love. This is grace. This is salvation. And this is a picture of our relationship with God. And the Father blessed us with all good things. And yet we wandered from Him. And yet the amazing thing is that He delights in us. And He delights to welcome us back into relationship with Him. Maybe for some of us, we haven't returned to the Father yet. And it's just this reminder that salvation is available. That we can come to Him that He loves us, that He has good plans and purposes for our lives, and He desires to be reconciled with us. And not only is that relationship restored, not only is this a passage about salvation, but it says this, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Note the parallels here. In Ephesians, we've seen that journey that Christ Himself went on, how He was crucified and died, and then God in power raised Him back to life, And then he ascended and sat at the right hand of God. And what Jesus goes through, we also get to go through as well. We were dead, dead to sin, and yet we've been raised back up to life. But that's only the beginning as we've been discovering in Ephesians. And now we get to ascend. And we get to sit with Christ in heaven. And those riches that are given to the Son. We also get to share in as well as co-heirs with Christ. This is a powerful picture. And we see it in the passage of the prodigal son as well. Not only is he welcomed home, not only is he brought into the family again, but there's this great celebration that begins. And there are these riches that are given to the Son as a blessing to Him. And there's this reminder for us, if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, that God desires to show us the incomparable riches of His grace. 
It is by grace we are saved. Grace and grace alone. And yet grace is just the beginning as we come to faith. Because God has so much more in store for us. We don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. But we don't just get salvation. We get that relationship with the Father again. And we get to enjoy that life and life to the full now. And then we look to eternity and we think of the great riches that are in store for us there. And that is our hope as Christians and that's why we're saying in times like this where there's fear in our society, we have so much more to live for. So much more to live for. And what awaits us in eternity should spur us on in this life to live for Him. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about us. It's all about Him. That's how all the glory goes to God. It's not about the fact that we earned our way to heaven or we did anything for ourselves. We were dead, powerless. God has come along. He's done it all for us. He's shown us the grace. The gateway back into that relationship with the Father is just through faith on our side to receive it. And as we end this morning, note this. In light of everything that we've looked at, it says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This idea that when we were created and formed by God, God knew you. God gave you the personality He gave you. He gave you the gifts that He gave you. And He knew the plans and purposes that He had for your life. You are unique. There are people that you will meet in this life that none of the rest of us will meet. And you're there to live for the glory of God to glorify Him and to point others towards Jesus. And these verses say that you're God's handiwork. The other word for that is masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. I should encourage you this morning. When you got up this morning and looked in the mirror as you were brushing your teeth, did you think, I am God's masterpiece? Wow! As you came into church, did you look around and say, look at all these other masterpieces? <laughs> You're God's masterpiece. He delights in you. You need to hear that this morning. But it's only in Christ, let's hear this, it's only in Christ that you will fulfill the potential that He has for you. But He has stuff in store for you things that you and only you can do to bring glory and honor to him. And it's as we come back into relationship with Christ that we rediscover something of that meaning and that purpose. And many of us can testify to that. We weren't just dead in sin. We weren't just following the ways of the world. We kind of lost something of our purpose in life. 
And yet as we come to Christ, we rediscover why we were created and what God has in store for us. And as we begin to pursue that, well, there is a joy in walking with Jesus. Be encouraged this morning. God loves you. In great love, he came and he saved you. It is a gift of grace. And that step of salvation is only the first step. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And as we allow him to be Lord of our lives and guide and direct us, then we discover something of what we were created for and how to bring glory to God. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we thank you that you are the one who breathed life into us. You created us and formed us in our mother's wombs. And you had plans and purposes for our lives. And we acknowledge that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have wandered from you. But we thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. And we thank you that you are the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. And we thank you for the way that you have come after us. And we thank you that salvation belongs to our God. And we thank you for what Jesus has done on the cross. And we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you have opened our eyes to see that. And that you have taken that work on the cross. And by your Holy Spirit, you have breathed new life into us. Resurrection life. And Father, forgive us for the way that we have wandered from you. Father, forgive us for the way that we have squandered the years, for some of us more than others. And we look back with regret, but we thank you for the joy of knowing Jesus. And we thank you for the way that we have been drawn back into relationship with you. And we thank you that we are your masterpiece. Wow. created by you for your glory, that you have good works for each one of us, prepared in advance for us to do, that we are made in the image of God, and we've been given unique gifts and unique personalities and placed in unique places. And it's not waiting for that call on the Damascus Road, it's just living for you where you have placed us in the here and now. And we pray that we might shine for the glory of God and that everything we do might glorify you. We thank you for every spiritual blessing we have in Christ. We thank you that Christ is the gateway to receiving it all. And we just pray for that deeper walk with you. And we thank you that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. And we thank you that the gateway to receiving that power is weakness, and surrender and submission to you. And we pray that you come and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we might be the community of God's people that you intend us to be, and that our lives might bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.